Well, hello and welcome to the County Conversation, a podcast featuring employees and subject matter experts from the Fairfax County government discussing programs, services, and items of interest to residents of Fairfax County. I'm your host, Jim Person, and today on this edition of the Conversation, we're talking with Laverne Williams. She is Service Director of Detoxification Services and Residential and a longtime CSB employee. And we're going to talk about a serious issue today, opioid addiction and substance use disorders, and how the Community Services Board has continued to serve our community with safe treatment during this recent COVID-19 pandemic. So, Laverne, first of all, thanks for being here on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jim, and good morning, Fairfax Falls Church community. Absolutely. Good to have you here and looking forward to the conversation, which I, I said it's a serious one and touchy. I don't know if that's the right word. A lot of folks maybe don't like to talk about the subject of opioid addiction and substance use disorders. Well, I can certainly understand that they wouldn't want to talk about that because it's a pretty, as you said, serious is the correct word, Um, especially since substance use has increased during the COVID-19 pandemic and Mm. and to include opioid addictions, you know, you know, the it was often reported, there are many reports that talk about how the addiction has increased. And, you know, 30 states reported increases in the opioid overdoses during the pandemic. Wow. And, and, you know, 85 people died from overdoses during the first four months of COVID-19 just in New York City alone. But then when mm. we move over here to Virginia, Jim, you know, Virginia recorded 2020 as the deadliest year ever for opioid-related fatalities, you know. mm -hmm. And according to preliminary data, there was a 47% increase in opioid addictions in Virginia in comparison to 2019. And those comparisons also impacted right here at home, Fairfax County. So... I, I mean, the first the first thing I I, I want to say is why, or first thing I want to ask is why. I mean, do we do we know why? Do we have any theories as to why such a dramatic increase is? Is it just because people had to stay home? Well, you know, Jim, the pandemic increased stress for everyone. All of us can testify to that, right? Yeah. And with increased stress, individuals with addiction with addictions often resort to their drugs of choice. And substance use is a coping mechanism, right? So what's happened here is, you know, we have people now, we had people with the pandemic who were socially isolated. And social isolation is a huge trigger for people in recovery. Social isolation is so related to social distancing that that isolation made things more difficult, especially for people with opioids and substance use disorders. Mm-hmm. Other triggers that are related to social isolation were simply as was loneliness, stress, depression, and anxiety. And, you know, when people are isolated from their friends and families, you know, that's kind of hard. And then we had to look at it, you know, during during the pandemic, not only were people isolated from their friends and families, but we were also isolated from our coworkers. Many had to resort to telehealth or going home to work at home. And, 
some people even lost their jobs. And all of that really, and then having to deal with their children online, going to school, you know, all of that increased stress. So that's a lot of the reason we saw this huge increase. And of course, it's not all of the reason, but that's enough in and of itself, right? Right. Yeah, I guess I'm the, uh, I was going to say, weird one or fortunate one, perhaps, uh, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't mind not having that social interaction. It didn't bother me at all to stay home and telework. <laughs> so I guess I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, serious question, though: uh, opioid addiction and substance use disorders. Opioids and substance use. I mean, that's like two two different things, if you will. There's there's more than just opioids when we're talking about substance use or substance abuse, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, opioids, you know, in uh, and most people think of opioids and you think of the prescriptions that we use to reduce pain, right? And that's exactly what opioids are. However, there are still opioids that are commonly found and sold on the streets. You know, we have heroin, we have synthetic opioids, you know, known as fentanyl, but all of it is in the opioid family. And all of it is utilized to um, band-aid or reduce some form of pain. And at the same time, you know, um, while we don't want anyone to become addicted, these are highly addictive drugs. Mm. So, you know, once this use begins, it is really critical to seek care. And that care comes from great places like our programs in Fairfax County. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mentioned in the in the introduction, uh, longtime CSB employee, and then oh, yeah. I kind of explained community services board. That's what we refer to when we're when we say CSB, just the acronym there that we we often refer to. Mm-hmm. For those of us who aren't aware of what CSB or the Community Services Board is or does, could you kind of give us a, a quick little overview of, of CSB and CSB services? Absolutely. I have the pleasure of being a longtime staff member of the Community Services Board. And basically, what we do is we are the safety net for our community. We provide behavioral health care. And that behavioral health care includes, but is not limited to, you know, mental health, substance use disorders, and or co-occurring disorders, as well as intellectual disabilities, um, and so much more. The CSB is really here to embrace those that are in need of many forms of behavioral health care. And we have so many programs that offer such care, so many evidence-based practices that speak to that care. And even more so, we have a phenomenal staff of doctors, nurses, clinicians, business admin, admin partners, and executives, managers, directors who really pull together with a strong collaboration to make all things behavioral health care come together for the best outcomes of the citizens we serve and their families. Hmm. Excellent overview. I I appreciate that, and I'm sure our listeners do. I I, I was thinking about this this morning before we uh, chatted. You've been there a while, a few years. Um, What have you... Let's start with what the dinosaurs. Ki- yeah. <laughs> what what kind of uh, 
trends or things have you noticed in, in your time there from when you started to now? Are there, mm-hmm. there are things that um, kind of hit you like, uh, hmm? You know, you know, yes, there are many, many trends. We can talk about the trends of the different types of drug use that trended throughout the years. You know, what was the hot drug use at a certain time versus, you know, how we transcended from, you know, from heroin to um, opioids. Um, we can talk about the trends and the generational changes in the workforce <laughs> and how we currently have five generations working in our workforce and how all of that is impacting what we do and how we do it. We can talk about the trends and the types of care or evidence-based practices or even best practices that have been offered. Some have come and gone and come back again throughout the workforce. We can, but one trend that we have never seen before was a pandemic. Hmm. I mean, this pandemic was the first and only thing like it that we have ever seen in our professional careers. So while there has been many trends, we've never seen a pandemic. And one of the things that I have to say is when you see trends you you kind of have a roadmap and you know how to respond to a trend you you've seen something similar mm. but when you experience a pandemic you've never seen anything like this before what do you do how do you do it mm. and one thing i can say about the csb and its staff is that they rose to we we rose to the occasion i am a part of that great team right. we rose to the occasion from our executive leadership throughout every level of services offered and we made it work for the clients that we serve we made sure they had quality care and the most important thing about this, Jim, is that I watch staff detoxification, residential, outpatient staff. I watch staff do all of this while they, too, were going through a pandemic with their families and had to have their families adjust to the same things while being flexible enough and continuing to provide stellar care to the residents and their and their families. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned flexibility. That's that's probably a part of the answer. But how specifically? How did uh, CSB detoxification and residential teams? Uh, how did you respond to the pandemic? What did you do? How did you get through this? Wow. It was a challenge. Every peer that I've spoken to. Every staff member that I've sat with, every client, we would all say it was a challenge. Yet, we all did a stellar job. There were 24-7 staff at detoxification and residential sites. Those staff included clinicians, doctors, case managers, nurses, you name it. They were on board. And our staff really worked collaboratively with our part with our health department partners. I cannot forget them. The health department did a phenomenal job working with the CSB and other partnering agencies to ensure that we had what we needed to respond to this pandemic. 
the CSB not only followed health department guidelines, but we also followed the CDC guidelines. We also, you know, adjusted our census to accommodate social distancing and safety precautions throughout our programs. You know, um, I cannot say enough. We held six vaccination clinics right there at our congregate living facilities, as well as throughout other areas of the CSB. And holding these vaccination clinics was the CSB saying to the community, we care and we're going to jump in and we're going to help combat this pandemic. Outside of the vaccination clinics, before the vaccinations came on board, you know, while we were all waiting for the rest of, with the rest of the world for the vaccinations to come, we did testing throughout all of our sites. We made sure that our clients were tested. We made sure that our staff were tested. Um, you know, um, wow. Oh, we also used telehealth effectively, not only in outpatient, but over in residential. Our residential assessment unit used telehealth for our waitlist groups. And what we actually noticed, Jim, was we saw our waitlist groups better attended with the telehealth. Wow. And and the reason for that was because we had people who were coming to us for help, who were using drugs and alcohol, not have the barriers that they once had. The transportation barriers and the childcare barriers were removed with telehealth, so they could participate. So there was, you know, while you know we hate to say it, just as you mentioned earlier, there were some silver linings with COVID nineteen, and that was one of the positives that we were able to glean from it. How do we offer more resources to our clients to help meet their needs, such as removal of barriers? Right. Mm -hmm. We're talking with Laverne Williams, Service Director of Detoxification and Residential Services with the Community Services Board here in Fairfax County on the county conversation. And one of the things I want to make sure I I throw out there before I ask this next question is we are at the beginning of June uh, when we're we're chatting. And, you know, as you said, uh, a lot of um, CDC guidance has has come about in the last year, eighteen months. Uh, a lot of it changing from time, you know, week to week. Seemingly, uh, things have changed now. At this point in time, the beginning of June. So, what are the safety precautions that are in place right now uh, at the detoxification residential locations? Well, Jim, we haven't really taken any of our other precautions out of place. Hmm. And we continue not only to stress those precautions, but under the county mandate and because we do work in clinical settings with acute care um, individuals or persons who need, who have highly acute needs, both primary and behavioral health, we continue to wear masks. We continue to um, ask the social distancing questions. We continue to, or the social distancing screening questions, I should say. We continue with our hand washing. Of course, we continue with the social distancing, sanitizing our buildings, et cetera. And we continue um, to treat people. We, you know, we have outside visitation. Um, we stress the importance of vaccinations and we educate, you know, clients and staff about the importance of vaccinations. And we also help clients connect to local vaccination clinics. 
So things going on pretty much as they have been for the for the past little bit as you're looking ahead, mm-hmm. moving forward. Yes. Um, is there a plan? What what do you, what do you have in place, or what do you envision uh, moving forward at, at this stage and beyond of the pandemic? Well, we definitely are looking forward to moving closer to our pre-COVID census, and we're embracing a new norm like the rest of the world, you know. Um, We're also having the health department come out to evaluate how we can safely increase our census in each of our programs. And of most importance, we're getting our our diversion team back on the road. So we have a lot to look forward to. Also, go ahead. Go ahead. Also, we have some great new programming coming up. Okay. Well, tell me about that since you brought it up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of our great new programming includes we have an equestrian program. We're going to be. we're going to be partnering with uh, an equestrian uh, partner right here in Northern Virginia. And we're going to be having many of our clients go out and enjoy um, interacting with some of with horses because hor- the amygdala of horses is very similar to that of human beings. And with that, they're going to be able to connect to how another living being might be feeling in the moment and how they can self-regulate and how they can help connect to the horse and build relationships with not only that animal, but take some of the skills that they're learning from building relationships with the horses back to their everyday lives. How can they self-soothe? How can they self-regulate? You know, um, how can we invoke some of the practices that we take for granted every day? into our everyday lives and coupling that equestrian therapy with some of our other evidence-based practices such as such as you know such as um mindfulness or you know any of the other evidence-based practices that we're using so that's one of them the other, um, you know, we're looking at uh, remodeling some of our programs, such as Crossroads, which is one of our largest programs located in Alexandria, Virginia. And of, of importance, I think we should mention, is we're in tune with cultural and linguistic competency. And being in tune with cultural linguist and linguistic competency means that we are now looking at how do we remove the barriers for communicating with those whose, um, whose um, language of origin is not English. So what we've done is we've actually used the pandemic time to um, institute a new program, and it's called the Universal Access Language Access Program. And again, this program was put in place so that individuals we are serving can, you know, fully connect with their peers and staff despite their language of origin. We have nice resources and gadgets. We have interactive handheld devices where the counselor can speak one language into the device and the client who may not uh, speak English as a first language can speak um, their own primary language, yet the two can have an interactive conversation because the devices are 
translating for them. They can do the same thing with their peers. We also have iPads and laptops where we have uh, translators who are live and who can be seen and interact in the session where everyone gets the richest experience when they come out of the session, no matter what language you speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've we've got about a minute or so left, Laverne, and I've got one or two more questions, so I want to make sure we can get through them. Uh, one of the things going forward, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, the use of telehealth or telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Some of these things you've learned during the pandemic, is that one and or are there other type things that you had to do during the pandemic that you envision will continue going forward? Yes, we definitely envision that um, telehealth will be a part of our new norm. And we've, we're definitely looking at things like I just mentioned, like the Universal Language Access Program and how we can reach more of our clients. And we're just open to ensuring that we do everything we can to make our clients' um, experience with us as bountiful and as rich as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One uh, one final question. I want to make sure I get this in. Uh, legalization of marijuana, you know, that, mm-hmm. that is happening a lot of places around the country, uh, may soon be happening in Virginia. What what kind of impact is that going to have on residential and detox uh, teams? And, and, and what are you all kind of looking at now to, to address the, the legalization of marijuana when it comes to treatment? Well, Jim, as you can imagine, this is a highly political and highly charged subject is still pretty sensitive. So, you know, basically what we're doing is we're treating marijuana as we would treat any other legalized drug once it becomes legal, how it's legal. However, in our facilities, such as detox and residential services, while alcohol is legal, we don't allow the use of alcohol on our facility grounds or while you're in treatment. And, you know, lest there be a medical reason, which our doctors will be looking at, and we won't get into that here today, we will um, we will be treating marijuana the same. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Laverne, I, 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 there's so many more questions I could ask and things we could talk about, but uh, we kind of are at the, the limit of our time. But I do want to give you the, the final word, anything I haven't asked, any final thoughts you would like to, uh, to leave us with about opioid addiction, substance use disorders, or the Community Services Board. Absolutely. My final thoughts and my final message to the, to the Fairfax Falls Church community is CSB is still here. We never left throughout the pandemic. We had 24-7 operations going from our emergency services to detoxification to residential. And then we had our Monday through Friday services with our outpatient services. I do want to give a huge kudos to every one of our staff who were first, who are first responders. And I want to honor them as they stood the test of time with the mental health and substance use and co-occurring disordered services that they provided. And they did it in the midst of having to take care of their own families and their own needs. I also want to say many, many thanks to our peer support program. Um, Many of our peer supporters with lived experience partner with us every day to help ensure that our stellar services are translated to the clients and their needs. All right. Very good. Laverne, 
Laverne Williams, Service Director, uh, Detoxification and Residential Services with uh, Fairfax Falls Church Community Services Board. Thanks so much for being on the uh, County Conversation podcast and uh, giving us a a glimpse into your world. Thank you so much, Jim, for having me. It is a pleasure to be a part of this Community Services Board's family. Absolutely. Good to have you here. Laverne Williams, again, here on the Fairfax County's County Conversation podcast. If you want to get more podcasts like this, just go to fairfaxcounty.gov slash podcast. And if you'd like more Fairfax County news and information, go to fairfaxcounty.gov slash news. You can also call 703-Fairfax. That's 703-324-7329. And that's weekdays between 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. The County Conversation is produced by the Fairfax County, Virginia Government. Mm -hmm.